transmitted live across the Atlantic 3,000 miles and five hours backwards in time. We are now getting your sound clearly and we are looking forward with great anticipation to seeing your program. Hello and welcome to another edition of The Match Report. I'm Jack here with Manny. How you doing, man? I'm feeling good. A little bit cold, but yeah, I'm feeling good. How's uh, how's your weekend been? New York has been diabolically cold. <laughs> it's like Chicago out here where it's 20 degrees and the wind chill gets you to, it feels like 10 uh, pretty much every night here. And even during the day, I felt like my skin was getting whipped off my face by the wind. But other than that, it's it's going okay. What's what's the temperature like? How low is it? Is it going? It's been going down to like sixteen or seventeen at night, uh, okay. and then during the day it goes up to like twenty two. It's just terrible. Okay, but okay. it looks better next week. But th- I think that's an underrated thing. Like people talk about, people think of London as having bad weather, but I feel like it never gets as cold as it does in North America and London. No. It's like a little more mild. Yeah. Like we, we have, I think most of the year is probably quite shit in London. So we're always complaining whether it's raining, whether it's cold, like it's, it's not great. We have about, you know, six weeks of, of good weather, sunlight, but in New York, I've been in New York during uh, the new year and I've never experienced anything like it compared to London, man. Like, New York, when it gets cold and the amount of snow, it's it's crazy. But you guys get get on with things, man. Like over here in London, a little bit of snow, it disrupts the whole way of life over here. Like we still haven't got to grips to being able to still commute and get about life when there's that adverse weather. Yeah, you just don't have a choice here. Like I, I went to college down south in, uh, in Nashville. Mm. And there, when it snowed even like an inch, people lost their minds. The whole city shut down because <laughs> yeah. like they're just not they're not mentally prepared for that. Whereas in New York, it's just like you gotta yeah. find a way. Go crack on. <laughs> well, it was also uh, it's been a lively few days for football news as well. Mm-hmm. I was struck by this Cristiano Ronaldo quote that's making the rounds today on Sunday, where he says that the Ballon d'Or uh, and the FIFA FIFA the best, I guess they call it. Mm-hmm. The, the awards are losing credibility, and I'm inclined to agree. But what what did you uh, think when you heard his comments? Yeah, I agree with it, 100%. Um, I'm kind of thinking it's more like a popularity content contest. And Ronaldo, he's probably a little bit salty. Um, probably he thinks he should have been a little bit higher up in the rankings, but you're playing in, what, the 25th best league in the world or something crazy. So <laughs> you can't really complain. But yeah, I, I wouldn't have given it to Messi. Um, personally, but it's, you know, he won the World Cup and it's kind of like you're going to just keep giving it to him based on, you know, FIFA's FIFA's opinion and, and, and the heads of FIFA thinking that, you know, Messi's the best ever. So he's always getting that blight. It's no longer that much on merit. And, you know, they're, they're putting certain accolades ahead of consistency. And for me, Ballon d'Or has been consistently the best player across the highest league, across the, the, the most difficult competitions. And yes, you know, a World Cup, for example, is a great achievement. But other than that, Messi didn't really do anything in the year. You know, um, I thought Haaland was a lot better and was more consistent throughout. Yeah, I think, you know, it was one thing to do the Ballon d'Or because I think they can take into account the World Cup. But this recent thing, the FIFA the best, was about 2023. Mm. And the, he won the World Cup in 2022. <laughs> And he just objectively didn't was not the best player in the world in the calendar year 2023. Nah. 
So I, I agree with Ronaldo. Uh, these things are, are losing credibility. It clearly should have been someone on Manchester City. Mm-hmm. They conquered the world. You know, they literally won the Club World Cup. But if you, you know, however much stock you put in that. Yeah. But they won the Champions League. They won the FA Cup. And they won the Premier League, the, the most difficult league to win. Yeah. Somebody, it should be Rodri or it should be Holland for scoring 53 goals in 50 matches incredible. in those three big competitions they won. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's absurd. Who cares that, you know, he gets a lot of uh, chances are created for him. Like, this is football. We all have to deal with, you know, what we're given mm-hmm. as a player. Um, and But, you know, it's it's hard. I guess some people will always dismiss Ronaldo because he's certainly salty. <laughs> I mean, this is a man who's also saying that uh, Ligue 1 is, is a worse league. He's saying the Saudi League is better than Ligue 1 yeah, that's... Uh, in his comments <laughs> over the last week, too. It's like, come on, man. Like, I think he's getting paid. There's, a, there's like nine quality players. Ex- you know? <laughs> exactly. Across the whole league. I think he's getting paid to like say things like that and to just promo and big up the league. Uh, I think it's all part of his package of, of being, you know, the ambassador of the sport over there. Um, but yeah, he can't be serious. Like he's he's a top athlete himself. You know, he's played across you know most of the of, of the world. He didn't play in, in, in France, but... Yeah, the, the leagues are a lot more developed. The players are a lot more developed. There's more talent that comes out of there. It's it's actually a bit of a stupid thing to say, but hey, it's Ronaldo. He can get away with it, yeah. I guess. For a hundred million a year, I'll say whatever you whatever want. Whatever you want say. me to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, there are a lot of big storylines this weekend. Mm. Um, obviously, Ivan Tony made his return after a six month ban for gambling offenses. Yep. Um, and, you know, I, I'm sort of torn on this whole phenomenon now that sports betting is so tied up in the game. Like, I'm almost tempted to say that players should be able to bet if as long as they're not betting on their own league or their own team. Mm. But, like, everybody else gets to bet. Like, I don't know. Obviously, you know, you, you can get in some trouble with, with gambling. But um, he made his return and triumphantly uh he he scores a free quit free kick to equalize plays 90 minutes having not played a premier league match in months mm. uh but of course people will fixate on the on the fact that he took liberties once again <laughs> and some would say cheated, cheated the laws of the bit. game uh yeah what what did you make of that though i think it, it it's great for like commentary what happened with the free kick and for me that's all on the on the official officials to notice something like that you know, when there's a free kick in the middle of the park and, and the players try to play it five yards ahead, you know, the referee's quick to blow the whistle and tell them to bring it back. You know, he was clearly distracted by trying to sort out the wall and, and make sure everyone's, you know, was behaving themselves. But in the meantime, he, he took advantage, Tony. And in sport and in football, you always got to look at little ways you can get that extra advantage against your opponent. So I don't hate it. Um, and also for me, what was the bigger story was his performance. And like you said, playing 90 minutes from being eight, you know, eight months out of the game. And he looked like he had him gone missing. You know, he was playing that Kane-esque role where he was just filling in the holes and plugging passes through, you know, linking up play, um, using both feet. Like he's got a lot to his game, Tony. And he's a, he's a great finisher and took the free kick really well as well. So, yeah, I think his performance is more of a talking point, to be honest, than that little free kick and being a bit being a bit cheeky there. Yeah, I think, you know, we're, we're all pressing our advantages. That was some Sunday league stuff, <laughs> you know, that he got away with, yeah. essentially. I, I had no problem with it. 
Um, one of the commentators on Ameri- on the American feed here on NBC, Robbie Musto, was quite scandalized by <laughs> the gamesmanship. <laughs> Uh, but I don't really care. Nah. Uh, but it was Brentford 3-2, Nottingham Forest. Really uh, topsy-turvy game. Mm-hmm. Forrest scored a you know fairly nice opener, yeah. sort of looping shot from, from deep. Tony equalized. Uh, and I initially thought that Matt Turner, American keeper at Forrest, had, had a howler setting up his wall. But it turned out that he was not to blame. Yeah. Uh, but then, you know, I thought that Brentford showed some crucial fight back, even when they were pegged back again by Chris Wood, Mm. 2-2. You know, they they sort of struck almost immediately after that, pretty soon after. And Neil Maupai, with the the 3-2 winner, not a man that I rate as a technician, (sighs) but a nice spin and volley there. Yeah, and he he gets gets about the pitch and he makes himself a nuisance. I think that's probably his greatest attribute. and yeah, the the hard work throughout the game got got him a good you know a good finish and and winning the you know, the game for his team. But yeah, I don't particularly rate him. Um, I think just there was a lot more belief. You know, having someone like Tony back in the team, uh, Brentford just looked a bit more more threatening. They seemed to be a, have a bit more about them. But I actually expected Forest to 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 beat them. Um, they've been in good form recently. Uh, but yeah, it, it wasn't. One of those great performances they've they've shown recently, Forrest. Yeah, I you know I thought that they showed some decent qualities in terms of you know not allowing the game to get away from them. Mm. They st- they stayed in the game. They could have gotten a point, but I I'm you know I worry for Forrest. You know not just with the possibility that they're going to be deducted points yeah. for you know uh, sustainability violations. Um, but I, I don't know about Nuno in like a relegation fight. He he didn't really. Wolves were never. I feel like in the uh, much of a relegation fight. Mm-hmm. He had a few years where they were mid table essentially. Yeah. Um. I I just wonder if he's the right man. You know, if, if Sean Dyche is the perfect manager for a Premier League relegation fight, is Nuno Espirito Santo in that category? I'm not. I'm not sure. But I, I did think they had a couple of quality players. I thought Danilo. Uh, Danilo was playing fairly well in midfield, pulling some strings. Mm-hmm. Um, and also Aurel uh, Mangala yeah. uh, had, you know, some threatening uh, efforts on goal. I thought that they they had some signs of life, Forrest. I just, I worry about them. I guess Chris Wood is the kind of striker you want in the, in the, fight. In the relegation fight. Yeah. But I don't know. They might start sliding down the table. Yeah, and with the impeding um, sanction, like you said, with additional point deduction is going to be really tough and i don't think like you said the manager has the experience to to go through a relegation battle um because a relegation scrap is not almost it's not really about how good of a tactician you are it's it really goes down to being able to instill the the fight in your players and being compact and you know that you know never die attitude kind of thing i i'm not sure you know has that maybe being a bit unfair to him. Um, we'll really see what he's made of if they do get dragged down there. Uh, but I, I think Forrest actually set up to not be that kind of team anyway. Um, the kind of player that they that they have with, you know, the midfield and 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 the forward players and Hudson Odoi and Langer and you know when some of the other players come back from Afcon, you know they they do want to play expressive and 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 you know counter attacking football. I think if you are in a relegation battle, you have to be very conservative. 
um, almost play with a back five and, and keep things tight and just grind out results. And I'm not sure that's, you know, their, their best strength. So I think as a team and as a manager, that's probably not the best way for them to go. Um, they're going to have to just keep keep fighting, but by playing football and being positive in their football, if they are going to stay up. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do like Anthony Alanga a lot. And uh, Taiwo Awanai, mm-hmm. who uh, is away, he's away with Nigeria, yeah. I think. Yeah. That's, I mean, that combined with, um, he's a Premier League center forward, and, and that combined with the points deduction, losing him in January, I mean, that could be a big, big problem. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll have to see. Uh, there were, you know, it wasn't just in the Premier League that uh, there was some spicy stuff today. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last undefeated team in Europe. Yeah. You could say the top five leagues, but, you know, the leagues that we care about are <laughs> um, uh, Bayer Leverkusen, who, you know, Chabi Alonso has not only, you know, has them playing good stuff, mm-hmm. but consecutive weeks they have had stoppage time winners. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you get a bit of a feeling that they're in championship form. Yep. Granted, we saw stuff like this from Arsenal last season and did not end well. Uh, and it didn't end well for Dortmund last season either, despite what they looked like, uh, mm-hmm. you know, heading into the run-in. Mm-hmm. But they did it again against uh, a, an RB Leipzig side that that started well through Chavi Simons and really ran them the whole way. Leipzig got the points, 3-2. Good game, entertaining game. Uh, and the two players that we're probably going to both talk about uh, later on this, in the segment of the show uh, are our two attacking midfielders, you know, uh, Wirtz versus Simons. And uh, I don't know, it's conceding so many goals um, is a worry. Uh, I think Leverkusen have great, great firepower. The way they play, it's, it is an attacking side. You know, even their fullbacks get involved. Um so it, you got you got to look at how how many clean sheets do they keep in them to actually be title winners. Um, but they're an exciting side and and they play great football. Both sides play great football and they're both playing the front foot. Um, so yeah, it was an entertaining game. Um, some of the goals are quality, uh, but yeah, last minute winners eventually they run out. You're gonna need to be be a lot more solid at the back and, and getting the one and two nil wins. That's what title winners do, you know. It's not every game you can outscore an opponent. Yeah, and they were exposed here against Leipzig, who I, I think statistically are the third best counterattacking side mm-hmm. in Germany and, you know, probably one of the better ones in Europe. Mm-hmm. I mean, Lois Appenda scored. There was a flowing counterattacking yeah. move that he benefited from for them to go 2-1 up. And I, he's pretty high up the Bundesliga scoring charts. I mean... Leipzig are a decent side. Yeah, decent side. Um, again, they've got a, a few young players coming through as well. I, I like their their striker in, in Sesko. Um, I think United were linked with him uh, last season. It was between him and I think uh, Hodgland. They've been decided to go with, with Hodgland, obviously. Um, but there's a lot of good pace. There's a lot of players that are good in transitions. Um, and, and I think that's probably where some some teams um lack in the Bundesliga is the intensity so you're seeing with Sancho he's come back at at Dortmund and a lot of the games that he's playing he's looking good on the ball 
but it's quite passive. A lot of the teams are are passive teams. They're not that athletic, and you've and you've got young players and and quick players in the Leipzig and, and Leverkusen side that on the break they they you know they decimate teams. Um, so I think that that is something that they they've got in their locker. Um, but there's not a lot of quality defensively um, for both sides. Yeah, I got to shout out uh, Granite Chaka in the Bayer Leverkusen side. Mm-hmm. Um, just a phenomenal sort of final third to Granite Chaka's career, it's looking like, mm-hmm. where the middle of his career was really questionable yeah. at Arsenal. But his last year there, he proved that, I mean, I think last year he was a top 10 midfielder in Europe. I mean, he was scoring goals. He was doing everything that Arsenal needed him to do. Mm. And I think he's pushed on again here, playing like a true box-to-box role, contributing all over the pitch. He's got an unbelievable engine. Mm. I mean, he's one of the fittest players that I've ever seen at Arsenal. Plays 96 minutes three times a week, every week. Mm -hmm. And he's never injured. Mm -hmm. Uh, he's a big miss and I think a lot of Arsenal fans didn't appreciate him while he was there Um, granted it didn't help that some of his uh, bad attitude or maybe his rash decision making in games getting you know yellow cards or sent off here and there you know kind of painted such a a negative narrative on the player when footballing wise he was he was fantastic Um, and he's you know just his link up play I love, you know, his range of passing is, is one of my, my, the, the things I love about him the most. You know, his short range, long range, he can make plenty of passing, he can break the lines of his passing, um, and he does cover a lot of ground. And, you know, I'm kind of like happy that he's just been allowed to just play and enjoy his football as well. You know, there's not, you know, a lot of negativity around him that there was, you know, while he was at Arsenal. Um, and you're seeing that the gaps that's that's missing in the Arsenal side, you know, we'll, we'll talk about, you know, their game and their win against Palace. But I think until Smith Rowe came on, it still lacked that little bit of fluidity in, in Arsenal's midfield. And he did it seamlessly. And that, that link up between him, Partey and, and, and Odegaard last season was a major part of why you guys were successful. Yeah, and his underlapping runs on Martinelli... Um, were crucial. He would run in behind, stretch them out. Then Martinelli had, you know, space in there. And, you know, Kai Havertz runs in behind, but he doesn't run in a way that really creates space for his teammates mm-hmm. quite as well as Shaka was doing last season, I feel. Mm-hmm. Even though he's sort of a space exploiter in the Thomas Muller mode when he's playing well. But yeah, I, you know, this Leverkusen side, I'm hoping it's for real. It's a great story. Mm. Xabi Alonso, I think, is destined to go to the top. Yeah. I think he'll be the Real Madrid manager within three years. Um, but he, you know, it's it's telling to me what encouraged me about Arsenal last season and Leverkusen this weekend. They scored from set pieces. Mm. And they scored by exploiting. You could tell that they, they had ex- looked at the uh, game film of RB Leipzig and their fullbacks go to sleep when you run into the back post, mm-hmm. they go to sleep. Mm-hmm. So they found ways to exploit that and they use set pieces to do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is sort of the kind of thing you need to do. You know, as you say, you want to get routine one and two nil wins. And I think that's the way you do it. You you prepare for each team that way to exploit their weaknesses. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Um, the, the point you made, made about habits, I think, that Shaka has is he unselfish 
with his running. Um, so, and, and I think Havertz is someone that that attacks the box with you know his with him scoring in mind, not so much about creating space for others. Um, so yeah, that, that that's a point to to raise about the two players and their profiles. But um, yeah, set please play. It's it's vital. It's it's something that it's almost a cheat code. You know, if you're not playing well, um, if you're under a bit of pressure, just you know, getting that corner, getting the whole pitch up up on the other end, um, pressing into the box and, and and getting a goal allows you to reset. Sometimes it allows you to relieve pressure. Allows you to you know, even if you're not playing well, get that goal and and then play play from there and, and start playing a bit more open play football. Um, and, you know, defending, you know, set pieces also is just as vitally important as well because the weaker sides are going to try and overpower you and, and wait for those opportunities to, to do the same thing. Um, so, yeah, Le- Le- Leipzig, they I think they played well. Olmo, he's a good player as well, but eventually it was, you know, it was just the better side and, and the better quality of finishing as well, which usually decides games. Yeah, well, I think that's a good uh, segue to the Arsenal mm. because they also exploited set pieces to, in the end, bash Crystal Palace 5-0. I don't think that Arsenal played incredibly, but it was a showcase of why I always pick Gabriel in uh, FPL in fantasy because he's a th- he's great in both boxes. He's a good defender, and I think Arsenal will start keeping more clean sheets than they have been. They they hadn't kept, they had one clean sheet since November twenty fifth, I think, mm. coming into this against Brighton. They they won two nil, but other than that, they've been they have not kept a clean sheet. So I think they can start doing that. And Gabriel, he gets for it, and he's a menace mm. in the other box. He's an absolute menace. Always has been. I, you know, I think he, he's underrated as a goal scorer from center back. I, there's not many better in the league. No, there isn't. And he, since 2020, he's the highest goal scoring center center back in the world. You know, and and that shows that you know, numbers don't lie. He attacks. He's aggressive, um, and he's played to 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 his strengths as well. You know, those whip balls in from from either side from Saka uh, as well as I think it was was it Rice that played the first corner. Um, yeah, Rice has started taking, which I'm happy to see because Trussard and, and Martinelli have not <laughs> been putting in quality balls. No, no. But yeah, you know, it was, it was great delivery. And if you put it in the right, in the right spot, um, you know, nine out of 10 times, or at least seven or eight out of 10 times, Gabriel's going to get ahead on it. And if it's on target from that range, it's more than likely going to be a goal. Uh, and Arsenal are leading set piece um, goals as well in the league. You know, so that's something that they've recognised is is a great tool that they have, and you know they're playing to it. Um, Arsenal has struggled to score open goal um, goals recently, so you know the the counter attack that uh, Trossard scored, you know, to make it three nil. Great play, great ball in from from Jesus, and the touch to take it inside before slotting it past the keeper was brilliant from from Trossard. Um, but I, it was one of the few times where they looked like they'd actually opened up Palace, you know. Um, I thought Palace were, were decent up until up until 2-0. Um, and then they completely capitulated um, after the third goal. And then, you know, when, when the changes were made, there was more gaps open. And unusual for Roger Hod- Roger Hodgson's side is them suddenly shipping in loads of goals, you know. He usually keeps things quite uh, respectable. Yeah, he's usually known as, you know, defend first, mm. maybe we'll get a counterattack. 
I mean, I, it was just a relief not to see some of their players on the team sheet, like Michael Elise, mm-hmm. um, even um, I'm blanking on his name, uh, who's off with Ghana, uh, Jordan Ayew. Yeah. Um, not seeing Jordan Ayew on the team sheet was a relief to me. I think he's really a quality forward in this league. He's just such a handful mm-hmm. all the time. He's always creating problems for your defenders. And I just don't think they had much threat without those two players. I mean, I, I think Michael Elise is one of the more, atta- uh, uh, you know, exciting attackers in the league as well. Everett has a, he's asked to do too much mm. with, without those kind of players in the team to get them up the field, find that creativity. They were just struggling in that department. Uh, and you, you know, you worry for, for old Roy Hodgson. I mean, he's 76. <laughs> I saw this stat before the uh game that he coached his first ma- uh he managed his first match in 1976 wow. which is six years before Mikel Arteta was born <laughs> so he's had a good run uh you know he's coaching at the top level but I you know I would be concerned if I was him about whether you know he might get one more match I I've read I think they have Sheffield United next if it doesn't go well there, you got to think he's he's lost the dressing room and it's probably over. Yeah, it, it's it's so it's so difficult and, and and so easy as well to just slip down slip down the table. You know they're they're currently you know fifteenth and like you said a couple couple more losses and they're going to be battling Luton. You know for for that relegation spot. Um, they're saving grace maybe the point deduction from from Forest and. Everton again, so he may just be okay, but their players and, and the quality in their squad, I don't think they should be where they are. And you've got to look at the manager and think maybe he is is a bit too much. Maybe the football's a bit more outdated. He needs to be a bit more, you know, progressive in the way he wants to play football. Um, he does like the hardworking, you know, um, busy forwards. You know, his centre, centre midfielders are hardworking, his fullbacks. Nathaniel Klein as a, as a fullback is it's kind of I don't know he's a little bit past it now you know I, I just think there's he needs to be more more modern in his in his style of play um, Hodgson and he's got the players to do it yeah I it's interesting to see the banners at the match were sort of directed at, you know, the fans in the away section held up banners once they were getting, you know, they were 3-0 down, 4-0 down, getting battered. Yeah. Um, they were they targeted the board and Steve Parrish and the American owners. And I think the Yankee owners are uh, always an easy, easy target, target, to yeah. be honest. Yeah. But, you know, there it's not, maybe it comes down to the manager, but Crystal Palace have needed a number nine center forward who's at the level for about three seasons now. I mean, I can't remember the last uh, quality center forward they have. They always have good attacking midfielders in behind mm. the, the striker, but they just won't go out and get a proper striker. You know, Taiwo Awanai at, at, uh, at Nottingham Forest is like the profile of player that they need, and they just won't go get him. And somebody responded to, I think I put up some photos uh, of the match mm. Uh, on TikTok or something, and someone replied that, you know, comparing them to their rivals, Brighton, it's really not flattering on Crystal Palace. Brighton, we're a smaller club, I think, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in terms of their finances for m- many years. 
but they're way ahead of Crystal Palace now in terms of even, you know, recruiting a modern manager with forward-looking ideas and finding quality players at, you know, a, a cut price and turning them around. I mean, it, it doesn't look good for Palace, what they've done over the last five or six years with what they maybe could have done. Yeah, agreed. And when Vieira was in, in the side, you know, he brought in a lot of the French players, a lot of, um, you know, he tried to build a more athletic side as well. Um, so some of the people that he brought in, like Edouard as well from Celtic, who at the time he was he was banging in the goals. He just never quite cut it in the Premier League. And I think, you know, they've tried Benteke up front as well. So it's just they haven't got that right number nine yet. Um, and losing Zaha was, is a loss. And I think they haven't replaced his goals, his creativity, and there's an over-reliance on, on Eze and, and Elise. Um, but I think they need to start moving away from the standard Crystal Palace, you know, the same way they've been... They're playing the same football for the past 10, 15 years. You know, there's not been any progression where you've seen sides that were below them you know in previous years they've adapted to to modern football they've adapted to european football even um even with their manager and, and the style of play and i think you know crystal palace is still kind of that old school premier league team and that haven't really developed in the right way and that comes from from the board and leadership um and then going back to bringing in roy hodgson who's <laughs> he's as old as you know as old as they come so I think there needs there needs to be a, a new direction for them because they do have some really good talented young players coming through. I think Mitchell as well is another great fullback that they have. Um, and what's what's probably going to happen is these guys are going to get moved on, um, and then they're going to go back to getting those dependable, hardworking players again. But that's never really going to get you further up the league and, and progressing as a club. Yeah, well, I'm thinking the football gods this morning for Nicholas Yover, the Arsenal mm. uh, set-piece coach, <laughs> who, you know, I think that Arsenal were in Dubai, and they're like, look, we need to get a couple easy goals to kick this match off. And so you saw, you know, Leandro Trossard basically sets a pick to screen the keeper and a defender mm. around the six-yard box. Ben White is always doing that these days, trying to cause problems. <laughs> He's such a shithousery <laughs> merchant. Uh, but I, I love that about him. But, you know, after they got a couple goals and loosened up, Arsenal did, uh, you know, start flowing forward. Yeah. And Gabriel Martinelli, who's been much criticized this season, has been on the end of a lot of memes comparing his goal totals to, you know, other players in the league, him and Gabriel Jesus. Mm. He got two. Yeah. And I, I think if Arsenal are going to pretend to be in this uh, title race... They need their forwards to score goals. Yeah, the forwards to score goals and, and they need their, their squad to step up. So it wasn't just Martelli coming in and, and getting those two goals, two great finishes, open the body, far side of the keeper. Um, but Nketiah coming on and something a part of his game that you don't really see is that link up, you know, and creating that opportunity for, for Martelli. Um, and, and also a big change was, was uh, Smith Rowe coming on. And I just think what he does... Um, in that midfield is he's always on a half turn he's always that first touch is into space and forward and he drags the team up with him um, and he is someone that can go underlap and, and overlap and he's someone that, that can receive the ball on, on either foot and, and drive forward uh, it, it just made it a much more open game and gave Arsenal more opportunity to, to try and find their players um, Saka was a little quiet during the game but the others stepped up, you know, that that's what you need your squad for. Uh, and I thought Jorginho, he came in, 
every time he's come in, he he seems to do a good job for you guys, you know. And it was a great ball for him for for Martinelli's second uh, second of the game. Yeah, that was a great little pass, and I, I like him coming on. If we have the game secured with you know in the seventieth minute, mm. he should be coming on to close out the match and just pass them to death. Yeah. You don't need to win every game five nil, and we won't. And there are t- there are games where you're just going to want to win two nil, mm-hmm. and he's he's sort of a, a part of that. But he did play a great through ball. Um, you know, I think that Smith Rowe, if Arsenal is a meritocracy, and I think Mikel Arteta has has you know really strive to make it a meritocracy, Emil Smith Rowe should be getting a run of games at the left eight position. Yeah, hundred. I mean, I don't see Kai Havertz. You spent sixty five million on him. But that's not actually a reason for him to play if it's a meritocracy. No. You know, it I think Emil Smith Rowe offers more as a connective tissue in your, you know, interior midfield, attacking midfield position than Kai Havertz has done. I think Kai Havertz looks better at center forward than he does at that position. Yeah, and for me I think it's probably stubbornness because a lot of people are seeing it, a lot of fans are seeing it, pundits are seeing it that the the player that he's trying to make Kai Havertz is, is not what is natural to him anyway. It was maybe in his Leverkusen days where he was more of the conventional advanced eight or number 10. Um, but his game is a lot more suited to being a focal point up front. Um, but that then leads to the question, if he does become that, what happens with Nketiah? Um, you know, between Nketiah, Jesus and, and Havertz. But yeah, agreed. Smith Rowe, especially during those darker days, it was him and Saka that was the shining lights in the Arsenal side that was, you know, getting you guys the wins and, and, and playing brilliantly. And it's almost, you know, got reward of a new contract, given the number 10 shirt. And then the six to five million signings kind of just made his career go, you know, two two steps back. You know, it was interesting to see that there was some some rumours of him going out on loan to West Ham for the remainder of the season that Arsenal rightfully rejected. Um, I'm not sure if that was the best thing for Smith Rowe, but I hope that came with assurances that you're going to get more game time now. Yeah, I'm hoping that this is a motivational tool that Arteta is trying to use mm. on Emil Smith Rowe. Because there was a stage where Gabriel Martinelli could not really get consistent games when Arteta came in. And, and actually, Emil Smith Rowe would play out there mm. uh, a lot of the time. And I think, you know, last season, Arteta questioned Emil Smith Rowe's mentality, essentially, and he would do it publicly. Mm. And I'm hoping that everything up to this point has been trying to convince him that he needs to go that extra 10%, mm. get, you know, squeeze eight, nine, 10% more out of his game. That And that's what it takes to make it at this level mm. if you're trying to overcome Manchester City and Liverpool. Mm-hmm. And that would look like a masterstroke from, from Arteta if he can, if suddenly we have the guy with the number 10 shirt playing that left eight and counterbalancing Martin Odegaard's creativity on the other side, but sort of a different kind of creative influence, you know, Mm. as you say, playing on the half turn combination player with the one twos Mm. making runs. Mm. I would love to see him, you know, own the second half of the season, but we'll have to see. We'll see. Uh, But he, you know, he's in that attacking midfield category and I, we want to debut our new segment this week called the set piece. Mm -hmm. And this week we've chosen uh, the top young attacking midfielders in Europe. Who who did you drop as your list of the the top four young attackers in Europe? 
I think they speak for themselves and they're, they're doing great things for all of their clubs. Um, funny enough, two of them are in the Bundesliga and one of them played in the Bundesliga. So I would give it to, um, firstly, Jude Beddingham. Um, I, was, I was a little bit tentative in giving it to him just because he has been traditionally more of a complete or round um, box-to-box midfielder. But we've seen him now in, in the tip of the diamond under Ancelotti's Real Madrid side that he is that that main focal point um, in midfield to try and get goals and and to be a bit more creative. Um, so I give number one spot to Jude. Number two spot, I would give it to Musiala. Love the way he plays, ambidextrous. Um, I think he's going to be a, a real world star. Number three, I would give to Florian Wirtz uh, by Leverkusen. Again, very similar. A great player, great eye on the ball, great passing. Um, he drifts really well and drives really well with the ball. I think he's a great ball carrier, um, and I think that will will suit him well for a Premiership move. And number four. Okay, this one I was thinking between Simmons or Foden. I'm gonna go with Simmons just because of his age. And I think that he has played in that attacking midfield role um, longer um, and, you know, across different teams. And he's also been a talisman for the teams as well at such a young age. I think Foden being just making it as a 23-year-old himself is only really now coming into that number 10 role at City and largely because of injury to to De Bruyne. Um, But I I would give it to Simmons uh, as number four. But, Foden closely, closely after. Yeah, I agree with pretty much all yours. I think Bellingham, even though he is a former eight box to box, I think now he's almost playing as a withdrawn striker mm-hmm. or, or forward. So certainly an attacking midfielder, his, his credentials are unimpeachable at this point. I mean, he's, he's probably the best midfielder overall mm-hmm. along with Rodri in Europe. Yeah. Um, Musiala, I agree, is is a joy to watch. Just such a clever player, um, such a mind for the game, and it's just it's great to see someone play centrally like that. And mm. you know, it feels like a such a bygone era when you had like Raquelme, mm. Juan Roman Raquelme playing like the you know the serious Trek Artista thing yeah. in the in the middle, Pablo the, the real number ten. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so I like Musiala a lot as well. Uh, Florian Verts, I think, you know, he actually didn't have his best match this weekend, I didn't think. Mm-hmm. He was a bit sloppy at times, and I think he went to sleep on one of the the Leipzig goals. But obviously so talented, as you say. He just glides around. He has that thing you can't really teach where he just he knows what time to take a touch and how big mm-hmm. and a little body faint, and then he's past you. Um, he, he has a really bright future. And then I was I had Phil Foden as an honorable mention, but I wanted to get Pedri in there because he I don't think that he has the resume yet, the CV that uh, Jude Bellingham does, but he has a chance to become an Iniesta, I think, uh, which is the highest praise in my opinion you can do. I mean, I think Zidane and Iniesta are, are my favorite attacking midfielders that have played in the last twenty years. Mm. Um, but I think that Pedri he has that vision mm-hmm. and he has the close control. He can pick a pass, 
seems like a decent striker of the ball is going to score some goals. It's going to depend on Barcelona getting their act together. And it'd be nice if his friend Gavi, who <laughs> I guess is a little more of a number eight than he is. Yeah. And it has a little more, uh, spike yeah. in his game as bite. well, which I like to see. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I think that Pedri could be the really generational talent mm. and, and Gavi could be a, a very, very good player next to him. What what do you think of Pedri's numbers? And I and I hate being the stats guy and the and the goals and assists guy, but I feel like Iniesta is probably definitely the best comparison. And Iniesta was always the one that was always providing the penultimate pass for the assist. Um, and he was a great link link player. Um, but do you, do you see him being able to add? you know, the goals, decisive goals and, and those decisive moments in games, which I feel the other the other attacking young attacking midfielders do do. Although I do agree that Pedri's probably the best all round technical player out of the three, out of the four, sorry. He has to add that to his game. That that's you know, I'm sort of making a bet on his stock mm. that it's gonna rise. But I, I think you're right. That's why I think that uh they should record hockey assists in uh, football and they should be more widely considered because I think Martin Odegaard gets a lot of hockey assists mm. that don't show up on the stat sheet. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think to, if you want to be Iniesta, you have to get your assists too, and you have to get your goals. Mm. I mean, uh, Iniesta won, he scored the winning goal in a world cup final. Yeah. Like that's the kind of thing you need to do if you want to be in that conversation. Mm -hmm. I just, I agree with you that it's more about the technical level that he's at and the potential mm. And then he has to prove it. Bellingham has nothing to prove. Yeah. And that's why he's the easiest to put on the, the list, you know? Yeah. No, that was good. Well, yeah, that was our first ever set piece. Uh, it, it is, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun every week, but there are more matches to consider, mm -hmm. including uh, what, with, you know, on paper, the beginning of the season might have been looked like a, a relegation scrap, but instead, West Ham are pushing for. A European place, and had they won here mm. against Sheffield United, uh, they could have been three points behind Tottenham in fifth. Mm. Instead, they're they're in sixth and and a couple more points because they they threw two points away against Sheffield United here. What an absolutely bizarre <laughs> game of football! And David Moyes must be tearing his hair out and tearing into Vladimir Sufal mm. for getting that red card for no reason mm. in, in uh, added time. Yeah. It was such a, like you said, such an odd game. Um, and it was, it almost seemed a bit of a misfit West Ham side. I know they've got a few players away, uh, maybe a couple of injuries. You know, I haven't seen Danny Ings start a game in, in ages. Um, Maxwell Corne as well playing for now starting it did seem like a makeshift uh, West Ham game uh, side, but you know they they got the goals. They 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 went into the lead and were playing pretty dis decent football. Um, Sheffield United obviously bottom the bottom the table, so I didn't expect them to put up much of a fight, um, and they kind of just self capitulated in the end. Um, but I I do think there were I'm not sure about the red card um, for Kufal. I think the second yellow could have gone either way could have been a you know just a foul um i'm not sure i would have given that yellow myself and also i think it was probably a penalty that they should have been given at the death as well west ham but you know hats off to sheffield united for not giving up and that's the right attitude they're going to need you know if they are going to have any hope of surviving but i i don't see that happening at all i think they're just 
holding out as as long as possible, really. But there's there's just not enough quality in that side, and they're they're hoping for hero moments and they're hoping for you know the right refereeing decisions to get them any points, really. But they shouldn't have been in that game. Yeah, and on the quality, you know, from a quality standpoint, I looked at Ollie McBurney. You know, that was such a bizarre extra time where you know mm. there's. I was glad to see a goalkeeper actually get penalized for fouling someone in the box, mm. which is so rare in the rare. game. Yeah. But Ariola came out like a locomotive and ran into the back of Ollie McBurney. <laughs> but I saw Ollie McBurney step up for Sheffield United, and I was like, I don't rate this man as a finisher really at all. Mm. He proved me wrong because he swept it home. Um, even after West Ham had this sort of fun psychological advantage where they got to bring on they got to substitute their keeper at the death mm. and Lukas Fabianski it turns out is is the third leading uh saver of penalties over the last 10 years maybe in Premier League history um mm. he, he saved you know 11 or 12 penalties uh but it wasn't you know that psych- psychology wasn't quite enough and McBurney did get them a point uh after I thought that Sheffield United were showcasing why they were going to go down you know, they were sort of hanging around in the game better than I thought they would. And then they give away such a dumb penalty because Danny Ings uses his, you know, Premier League. He's been a Premier League striker for a long time, Danny long Ings. Time. And he's clever and he, you know, rolls them. He rolls one guy out of a challenge. Then there's just a terrible challenge from Gustav Hammer mm. to trip him. You know, if you're going to trip him, you know, at least tackle him properly. <laughs> he sort of just kicked the back of his foot and brought him down. And it's the easiest call in the world. Yeah. And then you have James Ward-Prowse, another player who is what Sheffield United don't have in terms yeah. of just an extremely quality technician mm-hmm. to put the ball in and take those uh, opportunities to score from set pieces as well. Mm. Yeah, and the the penalty that was awarded against West Ham for, for Ariola's challenge you know, nine out of 10 times, that's a foul given to the goalkeeper. Like to see it yeah. in the reverse was, was refreshing. And I, I think more decisions need to actually go that way because goalkeepers had this, you know, this, this sense of security that we can really come out and clatter you um, to try and get to the ball and any little bit of pressure on us, it's more likely going to go our way. But I'm glad the decision went that way. Um, I, like, yeah, like I said earlier, I, I just think, West Ham probably took the foot off off the gas um, a little, a bit of head loss um, from Kufal. Either whether it should have been a second yellow or not, you shouldn't be giving the ref that opportunity, you know, so late in the game anyway. Um, and, you know, it was a real opportunity for them to climb up the table and put pressure on, on the top five. Um, but it's it's two points definitely dropped. Um, and so it's, it's a massive point gain for, for Sheffield. And they're going to have to keep picking up these odd, you know, one point here and there if they are going to survive. But, you know, I think there's six points from from Luton, um, eight points from um, from Everton. So they've got a long way to go. They've got a long, long way to go. Yeah, I, I think Sheffield United are cooked yeah. in this division. I, I think they never really intended, you know, they I don't think they really signed many players. And I think that was sensible. First of all, you look at the, uh, the you know sustainable sustainability and profitability rules. Mm. You know they didn't run afoul of that. They'll be they'll be relegated, but they haven't you know overextended themselves on transfer fees and wages. I think they know that they're a yo-yo club, mm. and they're going to be up and down quite a bit. 
But for West Ham, I mean, this was a terrible result, Mm. in my opinion, for West Ham. It's just a disaster when you're pushing for European spots in this league. You know, you can't drop two points to Sheffield United. I think you need those points. Mm. So we'll see. I've really rated West Ham. I think they're going to struggle without Mohamed Kudus, although it looks like Ghana might go out in the group stage unless they get their act together in the final match day Mm. at AFCON. Um, but they need him back. And also my fantasy team needs to come back. I don't have any free transfers to get. Him <laughs> um, and it seemed like Jared Bowen wasn't fit, but then he played. Mm. So uh, maybe it's better news on that front. Yeah. I just wonder how it's going to shake out up top for West Ham. I don't, I don't know if they're going to be able to hang around. Mm. I think Brighton will probably get better again and kick into gear. There's a lot of teams around there that are they're pretty good. I, I think Spurs are si- probably significantly better than West Ham. Yeah, it, like you said, there's quite a few teams that if they put two or three results in the right, you know, positive results, then it changes it changes that sixth to to ninth position. Um, and unfortunately, United is is in that mix as well. So um, I do think without their their main players, their star players, they don't have the the quality in the squad which is the deciding factor most of the time and, and uh, keeping your players injury-free as well. Um, I, I just think West Ham have only really got a chance if they can keep, you know, Kudus, uh, Paqueta, Bowen, um, Ward-Prowse fit and firing. Um, the people that do come in, I think they're just, they're just not good enough. Um, I don't rate Corne that well. Um, for now, I think he, he's average, uh, but I think he's leaving at the end of the season. Um, some of the younger players that they've got coming through are just quite not there. They've got a young striker um, who's who's had some minutes in Europa that, that I think is decent, has got good potential. Um, but even at the back, uh, Zuma hasn't looked as commanding as he's, as he's previously had last season as well. Um, and Ben Johnson, he's kind of been in and out of the squad. Um, he was looking at like he could have been a good young up-and-coming fullback in, in the league and He's not really had a kick in this season either. Um, so if they don't get the act together, then Brighton are right there on their tails. You know, Tottenham, will, they've got more quality all around and they're seeming to be able to cope with some of the absences that they have. Uh, I, I just don't think the, the other teams will, will have the squad to, to, cover the paper, the, the, to cover the cracks. Yeah. Well, there was an, uh, another game today on Sunday uh, that showcased a team I thought was going to be down at the bottom, mm. you know, fighting, trying to fight off the Sheffield Uniteds of the, of the world. But B- Bournemouth have been the form side in the Premier League over the last 10 matches coming into this one. Mm-hmm. I've, you know, I was still playing my trumpet before that, you know, the, the music is going to stop for Bournemouth. I, I just don't think that they are that quality in terms of the personnel Mm. but they've been getting results and they were at home for uh liverpool's visit at the vitality stadium which you know they were saying on the coverage here the 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 feeling in bournemouth when a big team comes to town is still they still feel like a newly promoted side and there's a great atmosphere Mm. uh the kind of thing you would see at brentford a couple years ago but they didn't, you know, I, th- I thought it was quite even in the first half. Yeah, agreed. But I didn't really trust Bournemouth to have the cutting edge, even if Dominic Solanke is, is currently the third, the third top scorer in the Premier League. And Liverpool absolutely have the cutting edge, mm. no matter if they're playing poorly. Mm. 
Yeah, that that's the one thing that you can always count on with Liverpool is having the firepower to finish, you know, chances and half chances, um, and and Jota being one of those those main reasons. Um, he's so clinical in his finishing, you know, half half bounce opportunities, you know, near post of the, of the keeper, far post of the keeper. He sniffs out opportunities, and Nunes got two goals. You know, he was clinical himself today. Um, but yeah, I agree with you that the first half was pretty even. I thought the atmosphere was great. Um, there were times that you know Bournemouth put some really good passing moves together, but I just think in the final third they were a little bit toothless, which hasn't been reflective of the way they've been playing recently. You know, they said um, I think Bournemouth and Liverpool for the past eight weeks have been the most informed sides in the league. So there is ability there. Um, I don't know if it was a bit of. Um, imposter syndrome for them to think that maybe you know this Liverpool side is a bit too much for them um, but yeah I think they approached the game the right way they just didn't have the quality of the, of the finishing and unfortunately Solanke didn't really get any clear-cut chances or half chances himself to to really give them an opportunity to go ahead um, Liverpool for me pretty average but you know with the quality they have and the firepower that they have they're always going to They've always got a goal or two in them and end up being four. Yeah, for Bournemouth, I feel like uh, Marcus Tavernier, Tavernier and Justin Clivert are pretty good players. I just don't know if they're going to be feeding Solanke enough mm. quality chances for them to you know get into the top half in the second half of the season. I think that they are going to be lower mid-table. And I still think there's a chance that they get dragged down there. Although, you know, the two pending deduct points deductions change the calculus and they might just benefit from that. Like crystal palace might as well. Um, but Liverpool, I just, I, I still, they have not convinced me. And the last time we, we discussed this, (laughs) we caught plenty of flack (laughs) on, uh, and Instagram when, when we put a clip out, but I, I still think that Arsenal have a better squad of playing talent Mm. than, Liverpool do I think Liverpool have a better coach Hmm. and they also have players like Diogo Jota who is sort of a super he's like a super saiyan version of Leandro Trossard sometimes where he absolutely gets goals and assists at a prodigious rate the 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 rate that Arsenal probably need Leandro Trossard to get Hmm. if they want to challenge but he was an absolute sniper in this game he was a sharpshooter you give him just a tiny window mm. to shoot through around the key the, around the defender's foot with a little corner of the goal showing. It's in off the post, bang, yeah. you're dead. And he he can do it to anybody. He did it to Arsenal the other week too. Yeah, Jota is a great player, um, and it's been unfortunate that he's such he's had such a bad injury record. He I think he consistently be in the top three um, goal scorers in the league. Um, I actually think he's. I see him more of a Firmino Super Saiyan version, where his link-up play is you know just as good, but he's a much better finisher than Firmino was. You know, he's his overall yeah. play is you know is very similar. He brings in others. He got I think he got two or one assist today. Um, so I think that's what he has. And you're right on mentioning that the manager that they have, and maybe it is us being a little bit anti-Liverpool, not wanting them to do well. But I think what they also have, as well as their manager, they've got players that have the experience of winning a league and winning a Champions League. 
So I think that does give them that edge, um, even when they're not playing playing that well. Um, and, you know, bringing in you know, a couple of the young players that they had. I'm not a great fan of Harvey Elliott. I'm not a great fan of um, Curtis Jones. I, I rate Jones higher than Elliott. Um, uh, I think he's also someone that's more of a link player rather than the person that'll get you the goal or the assist. Um, but I do I do think that that midfield um, imbalance is... It's, it's astounding that they're still, you know, winning winning the league and running with the league at the moment. Um but I, I think it's just their it's their firepower that's that's papering over the cracks really. Um and, and at the back, Konate's really developed into being a top quality centre back as well. Um his aggressiveness was sometimes made him a bit sloppy, um, giving away needless flowers. But he's kind of refined that a bit now. Um, and on the ball and in possession, he's a lot more assured. Whereas before, he would give away passes um, by being a bit too adventurous in, at the back of his passing. Um, so their players are developing. And, and Joe Gomez, who looked like being out of the door as well, is now being that dependable squad player, playing at either side of, of, of the defence and doing well. Um, so maybe we need to start taking Liverpool a bit more seriously, um, despite some of the obvious flaws that they have in their side. They've got winners in their team. They've got a great manager, and they've got people that can finish and win them a game at any moment. Yeah, I think they're good at the top end of the the pitch and at the back. Allison is obviously incredible in goal, probably the best in the world. Mm-hmm. As you say, Kanate has come on leaps and bounds. I didn't really rate him last season, but you know he's still not as you know accomplished as a passer as Virgil Van Dyke or or a William Saliba, but amazing one-on-one defender Mm. and really you know physically imposing but that's what they don't have in midfield they I think you know Jurgen Klopp switched out his engine of the car this summer essentially Mm. he got rid of his entire midfield and brought in a bunch of new players but some of the guys that have stuck around as you say Curtis Jones uh Harvey Elliott I don't see it Endo Wataro Endo's Endo is away at the Asian Cup. He had some good, ma- uh, you know, played some good matches before he left. Mm-hmm. Still question the physicality. I still question whether they can live with. I mean, they're going to play Man City not too far from now. Yeah. Uh, that will be interesting to see because I could see them getting absolutely dominated mm-hmm. by Rodri, mm-hmm. and they could get exposed there. But Salah could score twice, <laughs> and he probably will. Yeah. So, and Jota could score. And here, Darwin Nunez scored twice. Granted, it was Bournemouth. Mm -hmm. uh, But his second finish, Darwin, was nice. nice. I mean, that was a nonchalant uh, flick of the outside of his boot to put it in off the the post. Mm -hmm. Keeper had absolutely no no chance. chance. No chance. Yeah, and (laughs) again, Poe being a bit unfair to him, I'm not sure if he 100% meant it. I just think he was trying to get (laughs) a connection to the ball, but... He pulled off a great finish um, and he was a constant threat. That's something that you do get with Nunes. He's, he's a constant threat. Um, he's always running in behind. He's always pressing. Um, and he, he just, he almost creates opportunities for himself just from his hard, his hard work and, and his sheer power and running ability as well. Um, Diaz had a quiet game, I think. Um, Cliver was lucky not to get sent off on the challenge on him as well. Um, could, could have been a, a much worse scoreline or or worst completely different game for for Bournemouth as well um but they've got a lot of options um Gakpo coming on getting an assist as well every time he comes on he seems to be quite effective 
um, and Graven Birch as well. He does he does offer them a bit more technical ability, but they are lacking that athleticism. Um, and I think it's not just you know the city game. I think even teams like Tottenham could be a problem for them. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll see how the, how they fare for the rest of the season. Um, I really hope they don't they don't win the league though. I would take them over Man City at this point. I'll take anybody. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they fare against uh, the Tottenham's of the world as well. I did think as as much as Darwin had a a great match here. I was cracking up at how he set up, I think, the last Jota goal where he sort of just bundled into the defender and it was kind of a mess, but he came away with the ball and and then found Jota. It, you know, I couldn't resist laughing at that because it's sort of his reputation precedes him as being a bit clumsy at times, even if he, you know, scored twice today. Yeah, yeah. It was it was typical Nunes, to be honest, uh, just the way he was just he kind of just steamrolls through sometimes. There's not that much finesse in his game. Um, but yeah, an assist, an assist. And he, like you said, he got two good goals. Yeah, well, big ups to him, but mostly to Diogo Jota for saving my FPL week. I played my free hit card nice. because I was in such desperate shape through injuries and, <laughs> and AFCON and everything. So thank mm-hmm. you to Diogo Jota. Uh, but it does look like Liverpool are in the title race. Uh, legitimately, yeah. even if I question some of their credentials, uh, mm-hmm. they are, they play Arsenal coming up in a couple weeks, so that'll be a test yeah. too. But we have a lot to look forward to, and uh, we'll be back next week for another edition of the Match Report. Yeah, for sure. Have a good week, man. Mm-hmm.